You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, speaking of anticipation, how many of you remember the anticipation that you felt as a kid at Christmas time? Anybody remember those days? There's nothing like being a kid at Christmas time. You know, the anticipation that you felt, the, the hope of, of getting that like one present that you had been hoping and longing for. You know, you were dropping hints to your parents like, oh, I heard recently that Game Boys were on sale. Isn't that really interesting, Mom? <laughs> the, the longing, the anticipation. I was thinking about this, you know, some of the toys that I was into when I was a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s. And uh, do you remember some of the toys that you were into when you were a kid? I thought we would go down memory lane together. Anybody, were, was anybody into Transformers? We got some pictures for you today. That is a vintage 1982 Optimus Prime right there. That sucker probably goes for a lot on eBay. I was, I was into Transformers, man. That was a really good season of life. And here's the cool thing. You know, I, I had boys, and Transformers came back in, so I kind of got to relive my childhood with my kids. It was great. It was great. And then I went through a Ninja Turtle phase. Any Ninja Turtle fans in the house, amen somebody. Yeah. I was hardcore into Ninja Turtles. We would add to our Ninja Turtle collection every year, every, every Christmas. I was actually a, so into this, I was a member of the Turtle Force fan club. I just want you to know. I would... Yeah, I was devoted. Some of you thought you were into Ninja Turtles. No, no. I was a disciple, okay? It was serious. But I think the greatest, the greatest gift we ever got as, as kids growing up, and I think it happened about 1989 when I was 10 years old when we got our first Nintendo. There it is. There is the glory revealed to you right there. The very first Nintendo, I think these came out like a couple years earlier, like 1986 or something. We kept working our parents over, and finally, they brought us a Nintendo. And I want to tell you, it was a life-changing moment for me. I just want y'all to know. I mean, marrying Amy, that was pretty awesome. You know, seeing the birth of my three boys, that was nice. But that Nintendo, man, I'm just saying, those are the moments that life is made of right there. <laughs> it was like, it was so good. My parents brought us a Nintendo. I think we played like 48 hours like straight. They had to get us off the Nintendo. We didn't eat or sleep. They're like, get off of it. You got to go eat something. <laughs> it was awesome. Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt. We had the gun. It was so, so good. But I remember what I felt like, you know, what it felt like as a kid to so deeply long for, for a gift. Now, it's one thing to, to wish for a Christmas gift when you're a kid. It's another thing to hope for something in life as a grown-up. Come on, to, to really hope for something, to hope for a, a, a fulfilling job, to hope for a meaningful relationship, to hope for a loved one who, who's sick to, to get healed and be well. Like, hope represents the, the deepest longing of our hearts. In, in fact, uh, we, we, we can long for something so much that we actually have to guard our hearts from disappointment. Don't we find ourselves saying at times, like, don't get your hopes up? Like, we even say that to ourselves, don't get, don't get your hopes up when it comes to maybe a, a house or a job or a relationship. And many of us have, have been on the receiving end of dashed hopes. You ever had your hopes dashed before? I think we've all been there before in, in some way. And sometimes we can get to the point where we struggle to even have any hope at all. A couple years ago, it was around this very time of year, Advent and the Christmas season was coming back in 2014 before we ever launched this church. I was going through one of the most 
difficult seasons of my life and like nothing was going right. And uh, there, there was a Catholic church at the end of my block there in Harrison where I used to live. And I would go there to pray. It was quiet. And I remember going into the church. It was, it was Advent. It was dark, you know, and there was the, the Christmas decorations, the poinsettias and the Advent candles and the wreaths. And, but I remember, you know, it's that time of year where it gets dark so early and just sitting in this dark, quiet church, just, just crying out to God saying like, God, did I miss you? God, God, where are you? I, God, God I, I thought I heard your voice. Like, God, give me something to hold on to. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer like that before? Like, God, just give me something. Like, give me something to hold on to. I was fighting to hold on to hope. And maybe some of you are here today, and that's what you're feeling right now. Like, ju- just fighting to hold on to hope for something or someone in your life that you're believing for, that you're, you're longing for. And my prayer for you today, church, is that you would come to see that there is a deep and abiding hope in Jesus. Come on, a hope for the future that can change us in the present. Come on, I really believe that today, that there is a, a deep and abiding, purposeful hope that we find in Jesus. It's so powerful that it can impact us right now in our present circumstances, whatever they are. So we've been in this Advent series for the past few weeks. This is the third Sunday in Advent. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at some Old Testament prophecies. We've been looking at these prophecies from the perspective of B.C., before Christmas, before the birth of Christ. Now, these prophets, they prophesied centuries before the birth of Christ. And what we find is that these prophecies are fulfilled in the life of Jesus, but they have meaning for us today. Thousands of years later, these prophecies still have meaning for you and for me today. Prophets were special messengers. You know, when you think about a prophet, what is a prophet? A prophet is simply a messenger of God. God would speak to them at specific times, specific places, and he would give them a specific word. Maybe it was a word of of wisdom. Maybe it was words of encouragement. Maybe it was instructions. Sometimes it was even a rebuke or or warnings. Today, we're going to look at the life of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, let me give you a little bit of context to Jeremiah's life. Jeremiah was born in a small village about three miles outside of Jerusalem, uh, just over 600 years before the birth of Christ. And he was from a priestly home. He was the son of a priest named Hilkiah. And Jeremiah is known as one of the major prophets. In fact, years ago, there was a church hymn written about him, and it goes like this. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. He was a good friend of mine. Just kidding. That was not a church hymn. But I just wanted to find an excuse to sing that song. By the way, what the heck is that song really about? Anybody know? They were smoking some good stuff back in the 70s. I'm just saying. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. You know when the bullfrogs start talking to you. I'm just saying. But when Jeremiah was about 16 years old, he received this this amazing word from the Lord. Let's look at it. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, can you imagine having such a powerful word spoken over your life, a word with such purpose spoken over your life as a young person? I'm so thankful that a few moments ago we got to bless these kids and speak some powerful words over the lives of these children. And parents, I hope you'll never forget those words. But imagine being Jeremiah as a young person, as a, as a teenager, having these words spoken over his his life. Now, you, you would think that, that Jeremiah would be somebody very, very confident, right? That he would excel, that he would probably be voted by his peers as most likely to succeed after a word like that being spoken over his life. Now, that prophecy indeed came to pass in his life. God fulfilled that, that promise over his life. But Jeremiah had a very different experience 
than what we might expect. In fact, Jeremiah is actually known as the weeping prophet. How's that for a nickname? The weeping prophet. Like Jeremiah's over there crying. Like, what's wrong with that? Oh, he's just the weeping prophet. He's always crying about something. But where did he get this name? Why, why, why this nickname? Well, Jeremiah witnessed some of the most heartbreaking destruction in the history of Israel. We're talking death, war, like destruction. Like he lived in a time when the, the very people that God sent him to prophesy to, his own people, the people of, of Judah, the people of God, he saw them defeated, conquered, carried off into exile by the Babylonians. Jeremiah had every reason to be completely and utterly hopeless. If ever there was somebody who had a reason to be hopeless, it was Jeremiah. On top of that, Jeremiah had a difficult job. You're going to find out why he's called the weeping prophet. God gave him a really difficult task. Many of his prophecies, many of the prophecies that he spoke, they were actually warnings and judgment to the people and to the kings and like rebukes for their wickedness and their sinfulness. And how many of you know that people much prefer their prophets to be happy? And Jeremiah was kind of a prophet of doom and gloom. So Jeremiah didn't have a whole lot of friends. Jeremiah wasn't very popular. Jeremiah was often persecuted. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 33, Jeremiah finds himself imprisoned by the king when he receives this word from the Lord. Look at this, Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. God says to Jeremiah in prison, in the midst of this difficult situation, he says to Jeremiah, better days are coming. Come on, church. How many of you know that sometimes all you can do is hold on to the promise that better days are coming? You ever been there before? Lord, I don't like this diagnosis that I got, but better days are coming. God, I don't like the fact that I'm dealing with this sickness, this, this, this chronic pain, but I choose to believe that better days are coming. God, I don't like this heartbreak that I'm experiencing right now, but I believe that better days are coming. God, I don't love this sense of loneliness that I'm feeling right now, but I believe that better days are coming. I'm going to keep going until you help me preach. God, I don't understand why I'm going through this season of anxiety and depression, and I can't see where you are, but I choose to hold on to the promise that better days are coming. Come on, sometimes that's all you got to hold on to, but it's enough. It's enough. And this word comes to to Jeremiah, and God says to Jeremiah, death and destruction do not have the last word. Death and destruction will not have the final word. God says he's going to raise up a savior through the line of David, the greatest king the world has ever known. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that God made good on his promise. God made good on his promise, and he sent us a savior. And it's his birth that we celebrate, and it's a promise fulfilled that we celebrate in the birth of Jesus Christ this time of year. Now, fast forward a few centuries to the New Testament. And Luke, one of the gospel writers, Dr. Luke, gives us his account of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, famous words that we read this time of year. Here's what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, just to remind you, at this time, the Jewish people, they were a conquered people. They were subjects of the Roman Empire. Centuries before, it was the Babylonians. Now they had passed on to the Romans. And Caesar called for a census because he wanted to make sure he taxed everybody correctly. Some things never change, guys. History repeats itself. So everyone had to go back to their ancestral 
hometown. So Joseph and Mary, they had to travel from Nazareth in the north down south to Bethlehem, which is about 97 miles. I know it because I actually Google mapped it the other day. It's about 97 miles. Now, I've actually traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but I did it in a tour bus. Joseph and Mary had to do it like on foot, like with, with, with a donkey. I mean, I cannot imagine traveling 97 miles, you know, with a pregnant woman on foot. It's hard enough to travel 97 miles in a car with a pregnant woman because she's got to stop and pee like every 10 minutes. I'm just saying. My wife's been pregnant three times, so I know what I'm talking about here. I can't imagine how long that trip took. You know, a lot of bathroom breaks, a lot of bumps when you were on the donkey, you know. Luke chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. Let's keep going. Some of y'all aren't laughing because you haven't had a wife who's been pregnant before. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, Joseph is from the line of David. This is his, his family, right? So he has to return to Bethlehem, his ancestral hometown, to register for the census. And in doing so, he fulfills the prophecies that the Messiah would come from the line of David and be born in Bethlehem. Now, we know that Joseph was not the earthly father of Jesus, right? We know that he was the adopted legal father of Jesus. Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit. But because he was the legally adopted father of Jesus, this makes Jesus a son of David, and the prophecy is fulfilled. And Luke goes on to say this in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, the Savior that Jeremiah had prophesied about centuries earlier, is born to rescue his people. Anticipation, longing, hope fulfilled. This is why the, the Christmas narratives, they're filled with so much rejoicing. I mean, we sing about this and we celebrate at Christmas time, but you have to understand these people were living BC, before Christ, before Christmas. They had waited for generations. They had waited for centuries. They had waited, waited from one oppressive ruler to the next, and they got to live in the time of fulfillment. You used to get excited when you got a Christmas present and your anticipation and your hope was fulfilled Christmas Day. They have been waiting for centuries. And so this is why when we read in the narratives, we see how Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And when she shares the news, she bursts forth into song. And Elizabeth bursts forth into song. And then the angels appear to the, to the shepherds and they begin singing. And the shepherds, they go and they worship and rejoice. It's like the whole thing is one big Broadway musical, people. Everybody's singing. Why? Because rejoicing, because of longing fulfilled, anticipation and hopes fulfilled. Now I want you to notice something in uh, Jeremiah 33, verse 16, something that we read earlier. Notice that Jeremiah says this promised king savior. Notice what he said he would be called. Put that verse back up, guys. He says, the Lord, our righteous savior. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. Now, in Hebrew, this name is Yahweh Sidkenu, which literally means God, our, our righteousness. Jeremiah is focusing in on this character trait of God that he is that he's righteous. Come on, everybody say righteous, righteous. Now, righteous is not a word that we use much these days to describe people, is it? Like we might say in a negative sense, someone thinks they're self-righteous, but when's the last time you praised someone and said they're so righteous? Like what a great guy. He's so righteous. We don't often say that, do we? But in the biblical sense, this, this word righteous is actually a deeply relational word, as in someone who's right with God. It, it, it speaks of, of relationship, how we relate to God. In fact, it means blameless, 
innocent, just. And the problem is that doesn't describe any of us, does it? It doesn't describe any of us. We, we know that none of us can live up to that description. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. He said, there is no one righteous, not even one. I almost picture Paul saying there's no one righteous, and someone starts to slip up their hand, and he's like, not even one. None of us can live up perfectly to, can live perfectly in step with God. None of us can perfectly live up to who God created and intended us to be before the curse of sin. But Jeremiah says, there is one who's going to come whose name is the Lord is our righteousness. There's one who will come who will be our righteousness. Now, Jesus is the only person who has ever walked the planet, planet who was completely right with God. How many of you know that? He's the only one who was completely right, had a complete relationship that was right with God. You have to remember, Jesus was not only divine. He was fully divine, yet he was fully human. The church has believed that for 2,000 years, that Jesus was fully, fully divine and yet fully human, and he was sinless. He lived a sinless life on our behalf. And the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin. For us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Come on, church, this is what we might call the great exchange. Like Jesus, the one who, who was righteous, the one who is righteous, who lived a sinless life on our behalf, he bore our sin. He literally became sin for us. He took it on himself so that in him we sinners might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange that God made with us. This is the greatest gift that you can celebrate this Christmas season, what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Come on, it's a gift. It comes to you as a gift. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't put enough money in, in the offering. This is the gift of God. Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived a sinless life on your behalf. He went to the cross and died for your sins. He resurrected to conquer, to conquer the power of the grave. And this is the great exchange. The anchor of our hope is in Christ. Come on, we're in Christ. The scriptures all throughout the New Testament describes you. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's that you're in Christ so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sinfulness. He doesn't see your shortcomings. He doesn't see your flaws. He sees you in Christ. You got to know this today. No matter what kind of week you had this past week, no, no, no matter whether you had a good week or a bad week, doesn't matter how much you sinned, how much you, you messed up, if you've placed your faith in Christ, God the Father sees you as in Christ. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the anchor of, of our hope. I want you to know in Jesus Christ, we have a real hope. We have a lasting and real hope. It's powerful enough to change your identity, to change your life. Now, there was a study done uh, at John Hopkins back in the 1950s that demonstrates the power of hope. And a disclaimer, it's about rats. And I know most of us find rats really gross and disgusting, but hold, hold on here for a moment. Stick with me for a moment because I'm going to make a point here, okay? And here was the purpose of the experiment. They wanted to see how long rats could swim if they put rats in a container of water. And so they, they tested this first group of rats. And on average, a rat could swim about 10 minutes. Then they changed things up. They took similar rats, and they put them in the same container of water, but they took them out a few times. They, they introduced the element of hope before they put them back in. And, and do you want to know how, how long these same rats could swim? Before it was 10 minutes. When you introduce the element of hope, these rats could now swim and survive for 60 hours. 60 hours. Like that is the power of hope. Now, come on, church. You're a lot more important to God than a rat, okay? That's the good news. 
But I think this illustrates the, the, the power of hope because we've all had moments in life where we felt like we were drowning. Come on, you ever had a moment, a season of life, a moment in life where you felt like you were drowning, you were just trying to keep your head above water, but God showed up in your life and gave you just enough hope to hold on. Come on, how many of you have been there before? And maybe it was a, a moment in worship. Maybe you, you, you walked into, uh, into church on a Sunday morning feeling heavy, feeling overwhelmed, but you should begin to worship. You begin to cry out to God, and the Holy Spirit touched you, and God's presence came over your life, and something broke over you, and you just begin to worship and weep. And it was like hope was coming to you that day, and you knew you could hold on. You could swim a little bit longer. Come on, maybe it was a word that God gave you. Maybe you were crying out to God, God, give me something to hold on to. And he gave you a scripture. He gave you a word. And for you, it became a promise. And you prayed over that promise every day. And you spoke that word of your life every day. And it became hope for you. You held on to it to encourage you that you could keep, you could keep swimming. Maybe it was a, a friend. Maybe it was a, a, a brother, sister in Christ, somebody in your life group, man, that, that just prayed for you, encouraged you, come on, spoke words of life over you. They literally spoke hope into your life. Come on, and they helped you know, like, you can keep swimming. Don't give up. Don't give up. Come on, it's like, it's like Dorian finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. It gave you some hope that you could keep going. I want to share this quote with you from uh, Henry Nowen, one of my favorite authors, Great spiritualist, great, great Christian author. And here's what he, he wrote. He said, I have found it very important in my own life to let go of my wishes and instead live in hope. I am finding that when I choose to let go of my sometimes petty and superficial wishes and trust that my life is precious and meaningful in the eyes of God, something really new, something beyond my own expectations begins to happen for me. Come on, I love what he said there about about. Choosing to believe that my life is precious and meaningful in the eyes of God. When we really believe that, it just restores our hope. Like God can do something new in our lives. And I think so often when we talk about hope, what we actually mean is wishful thinking. Think about how we use the word hope. I think many times it's really just more like wishful thinking. Like I, I was hoping the weather was going to be better today, right? I was hoping he was going to finally notice me and ask me out. I've been waiting Come on, you wives. I was hoping that my husband was going to get the hints I was dropping on him and get that one thing that I was hoping for this Christmas. I was hoping that the Jets were going to make the playoffs. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? Maybe, maybe next year. <laughs> There's always next year. But I think so many times when we talk about hope, <clears throat> what we really mean is wishful thinking. But in the biblical sense, the, the, the kind of hope that we find in Jesus Christ, it, it's not wishful thinking, it's confident expectation. Come on, it's not just wishful thinking. I hope it's going to work out. I, I hope I'm just sending up a prayer. You know, I'm just throwing up some prayers up there like I'm making a wish at a birthday party, like I'm living on a prayer like Bon Jovi and just maybe something's going to happen. No, no, no. It's confident expectation. God, I know who you are. God, I know who you are. I know that you're good and you're loving and you're merciful and you're faithful. Come on, I know that you're able to work all things together for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. Jesus, I know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not just wishing for anything. I have a confident expectation that you are good. And I may not understand what you're doing. I may not understand your timing. I may not understand why I'm going through what I'm going through right now. But I choose to hope in you with a confident expectation of who you are. That's the difference. That's the difference. And when we cling to a hope like that, it'll change your life. Come on, we're not just talking about a feel-good message today. We're not just talking about a sentimental feeling that we get around Christmas time when we talk about hope. We're talking about a hope in the present that can change your life. Recently, we sat down with one of our, 
our church members and one of our team members, Trista, who actually plays the keyboard up here quite often, and she shared her story and her testimony, and uh, we want to share that with you today, so check out the screen. So I was raised in church. My mother accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior when I was about seven, so I grew up learning about and experiencing God, but never had a real relationship with him. I also grew up seeing a lot of hypocrisy in church, and I even experienced physical abuse at the hands of some people in leadership roles. That trauma, coupled with the lack of a true relationship with Jesus, caused me to question and run from a lot of what I had learned. It wasn't real to me. I didn't understand. I didn't know the hope of his purpose for my life. But I did understand that God was real, and I always had a respect for him, but I still questioned everything. So I spent way too long running and searching for something or someone to rescue me, to give me peace. I found myself in so many dangerous situations in the years that I had walked away from the Lord. And my searching had led me to drugs and to depression, dangerous and toxic relationships, even into witchcraft and the occult. I wanted to belong and be loved. I later told my mother that I felt as if everything I had learned and all of the prayers that were sung over me were like roots. They eventually wrapped so tight around me that I had nowhere to go but accept on my knees. One day I read Psalms 18, 16 to 20, and it says, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. When I read that, I felt as if David was thinking of me when he wrote it. But it wasn't until I became a mother that I truly humbled myself at the feet of Jesus. I wanted something better for my son, and then God led me to redemption. And I'm so grateful that the Lord brought me to this church, where I could experience his healing, and I could experience his presence. And redemption is a place of healing and growth. It's named redemption for a reason. So I learned the very hard way that there is no drug, no gang, no relationship, no false god or other spiritual path, no other name that is more powerful than the name of Jesus. Jesus is in the recycling business. He makes all things new and he gives us beauty for ashes. I found what I was searching for. He's it. He's everything and I am redeemed. Amen. Amen. So good, so good, so good. And uh, we love Trista, and she's really a living, breathing, walking, talking example of this very message that we're talking about, that this hope is real. Come on, this isn't just something we, we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better, but this is real. This is about a hope that comes into the present that can transform your life. Let me tell you something. We all need hope. Come on, no matter where you're at today, we all need hope. And I've learned one thing in my life. You can get through just about anything if you have hope. If you run out of hope, you're in trouble, but you can get through just about anything if you have hope. And here's what we see all throughout Scripture, throughout the ages for centuries, over and over and over again, God speaks words of hope to his people. God gives his people promises of hope, different seasons, different journeys. He speaks a deep and abiding hope to them, a hope that comes to his people in the present and can come to us today. And so back to Jeremiah for just a moment. Here's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. How's that for an assignment? The weeping prophet who witnesses so 
much darkness, who, who witnesses so, so much death and, and destruction, and he's in the midst of exile. He's in the ruins. He's in the brokenness, and the word of the Lord comes to him, and it's a word of hope for the people of God. And, and here it is. You may have heard this scripture before, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future. Come on, what I love about that scripture, and I grew up hearing that scripture my whole life, but when you get the context, it's even more powerful, isn't it? Come on, when you understand that Jeremiah didn't live through a happy time. Jeremiah didn't live through a prosperous time. Jeremiah didn't live through a time when the economy was really good. Jeremiah lived through a time when God's people were, were, were conquered. The, the, the promises of God seemed unfulfilled. He saw death. He saw destruction. He's in, he's in prison, and the word of the Lord comes to him, and it's a word of hope. I know the plans I have for you to declares the, the Lord, plans to prosper you. Notice that the word of the Lord doesn't come to him and change everything right away. Notice that the Lord doesn't say, I'm going to wave my magic wand and make all of your problems go away. Come on, I love this because this is real hope. This is real hope. Come on, we're real people who need a real gospel. We need a gospel that doesn't just preach on Sunday, but we need something that works on Monday morning when we wake up. And here's what I love about Christianity. Here's what I love about biblical hope, real, true, biblical hope. It doesn't promise that all of your circumstances and all of your problems are going to be resolved right away in an instant like we would like them to. But we know that, that that's probably a fairy tale. No, it's a real hope that comes to you in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your uncertainty. And this word comes to Jeremiah while the people of God are in exile. And it says, I've got plans to prosper you and, and, and not to harm you, right? Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah, hold on because better days are coming. Jeremiah, keep your hope up because better days are coming. Jeremiah, don't throw, don't throw away your faith now. Don't give up on me now. Better days are coming. And church, we live on the other side of that fulfillment. We, we're on the other side of BC. We live on this side when Christmas has been fulfilled, when the prophecies have been fulfilled, and we can experience this hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Come on, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And that's what we celebrate this time of year. And I don't know how many of you need to grab a hold of that promise for yourself today. I know the plans I have for you. Let me just read this over you. Declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You may have thought it was me who sent the harm to you. I didn't send you the harm. I can't explain to you why we walk through everything we walk through. We know we live in a fallen world. We know we live in a broken world, but God is not the one who sent the harm into your life because here's what he says, I have plans to give you hope and a future. And so let me give you this final thought. Hope is a vision of the future that changes us in the present. Hope, biblical hope, Jesus hope, like Jesus inspired, Jesus embodied hope. It's a vision of the future that changes us in the present. Come on, if you, if you have hope, you can get through anything. I've lived this. I've experienced this. If you have hope, you can get through just about anything. Because here's why. It may not change all of your circumstances. It may not cause all of your problems to go away. It may not solve all of your brokenness. It can't necessarily change the path. It can't do that. But here's what hope can do. It can change you. And if you get changed, everything's different. Come on. If you get changed, everything's different. The way you experience all of life and what you're walking through right now, it's not the same. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas, that, that hope was born 2,000 years ago. The answer to centuries of prayers. 
The, the answer to, to people's longing and, and, and hoping and anticipating was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray. In fact, we're going to sing that song in just a moment. The worship team is going to come back. And at the end of the service, we're going to have a special time of prayer. Maybe you're hoping for something. Maybe you're trusting God for something. Our, our team's going to be available to pray for you in person after our closing announcements. And uh, don't be in such a hurry to leave today. If you, if you need someone to pray with you, if you need someone to agree with you, our team would love to pray with you today and believe for your hope to be restored. Amen. But let's take a moment to pray together as a church family this morning. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your goodness, for your love, for, for your mercy. God, we thank you that you are the God of all hope. You call yourself that in scripture, the God of all hope. You're a hope restorer, God. You're the one who restores our hope. And Lord, today we choose to hold on to that today. God, we pray for a fresh vision of hope. God, we thank you for this wonderful season, this beautiful season where everywhere we go, there's rejoicing and music and, and songs reminding us of the birth of a Savior, of the birth of hope, the embodiment of hope that came to this planet and forever changed our world and changed our lives. And God, today we're asking you for a fresh vision of hope to come into our present. God, we invite you into our present. Come on, somebody needs to pray that with me this morning. God, I invite you into my present, into my circumstances, into my needs, into my brokenness, into my sinfulness, into my longing. God, I invite you. You're the God who comes to me in the midst of my circumstances, in my present. But God, I trust you with my future. Come on, somebody needs to declare that today. But God, I trust you with my future. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We believe it and we receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.